lady sent in a note asking if I'd do a podcast on how to leave a legalistic church. We do that, right? Did you know that? If you send in a question and you can ask specifically to speak on something or another, and I'll be glad to do that. She wanted to know how to leave a legalistic church. And just to let you know, if you do write in and ask a question like this, I won't use your name or any of the other details that would locate you because we want to guard that, but we also want to answer the question as well as I can. So if you have a suggestion, just hit our contact us link uh, on our website and write in and say, hey, Rick, would you uh, do you mind? I may or may not. It just depends on what it is. But this is so applicable to so many folks leaving churches. It's something that we do, sadly. And so I thought doing a podcast on this, she asked specifically, how do you leave a legalistic church? This is episode 208. Everything that I'm going to share with you is in this podcast. And what I would ask you to do, especially if you're at this juncture in your life, is that you click on these embedded articles. I have a lot of you know, a lot of them here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, at least eight articles that are embedded here. I mean, we're talking about thousands of words, but it is important that that you do this deeper dive because, well, we live in three big areas. We do life in three big spheres, and one of those is family, one is work, and the other is church, and that's how Christians spend their lives. We're either doing something with our family, we're doing something with the church, we're doing something with work, and, and that consumes us. And so church is one of the big three, and if you're heading toward a church or heading away from a church, well, I would encourage you to get episode 208, How to Leave a Legalistic Church. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. And again, you can read what I'm sharing with you in this podcast by going to these show notes. And so I have a list of things that I want to share with you, and let me let me hit them right off the bat. They're not in any particular order of importance, but they all are important, and I trust that this will serve you. The first thing is about this idea of leading. What I would want to say to this lady, if you are married, then your husband should be leading the process. I, I don't know if she's married or not. I think she is. And so it would be important uh, for your husband to lead the way. Sometimes women will write in because their husbands are, or maybe they're outside of the home working and the woman's inside of the home working and she has more opportunity than he does. But I do not want to just overlook this point because it could be an issue. Uh, it could be an issue as far as leadership is concerned, as far as the marriage is concerned, if you have children, as far as your larger family is concerned. And so your husband wants to take the initiative in leading. The second thing is around the idea of unity. The husband and wife must agree on leaving. I mean, this is one of the bigger th things that we do in our life, one of the big three, the spheres that I was talking about earlier. There are smaller decisions that we make all along, and and you can do those and not necessarily be in lockstep with each other. You won't be in agreement on every decision that the husband or the wife makes. You always want to strive for unity, but when it comes to this local church thing, uh, that's a big deal. And so the husband and wife must agree on leaving. And with that, as far as how to agree, I have an article here on biblical decision-making. It's one of the most popular articles on our website. 
you must know how to make a biblical decision. And so I'm going to ask you to familiarize yourself with this article. It's embedded here. You can click on this link and you can go to it. There are four component parts to the way that I teach it anyway. There are four component parts to decision making. They all start with the letter C. So that makes it easy to remember. The canon, the comforter, the community, and the conscience. If you're going to make a decision, especially a big one, you want to, you want to balance all three of these. You want to hold them in perfect tension. And, and the beauty of this is that uh, all four of them uh, allow you to uh, make the most comprehensive and, and precise decision that you can make because it covers these four critical areas of your life. The canon is... That means, what does the Bible say about this decision? The comforter, uh, how is the Holy Spirit guiding you and illuminating your mind? A subjective question, I do understand that, but we are Trinitarians, and we believe that God is alive and well in our lives and in our in our souls, and so uh, how is the Holy Spirit illuminating your mind? So what does the Bible say? What does the Spirit of God say? The, the, set, the third C is community. What are others saying to you? Now, you're doing that here by asking me, but I would also want you to ask those who are closer to you and know you, but getting community input is vital. And then finally, your conscience, your inner voice. Uh, What do you say? And so canon, comforter, community, and conscience are the four pillars upon which decision-making stands, and that will give you that balance. Some people will say, well, the Bible said, you know, I need to do X, Y, Z, and of course, they haven't got input from the community. They could be sinning against their conscience. The Holy Spirit could be greed because we can misinterpret the Bible. And so as you balance all four of these, you can come, you have a good shot at coming to a clear, decisive decision. Now, one of the questions that you want to answer is the shepherding question. This question is so important, and what I mean by the shepherding question, I say it like this. Who do you want to be your shepherd? Who do you want to be your pastor? Who do you want to have spiritual authority as far as the local church is concerned over your lives? And for the husband, I want you to think about it this way. If you were to die, and then your wife would be left in a local church, your children would be left in a local church, Who would you want to take the lead in the spiritual leadership authority over your wife and your children? That is the pastoral question. I think about this question as far as the church that I belong to. I look at the leaders, depending on if it's a plurality of leaders or in a legalistic church, what this lady is talking about is probably a, a singular person who is the leader. That's not the best way to lead a church. In my view, you need a plurality, but nevertheless, do you want this person to have that kind of control over your wife and over your children? The shepherding question is a huge question when you think about a local church. Do you want that guy as the spiritual authority over you? And of course, the lady that's writing to me, we know, I know the answer to that question as far as where they currently attend church, that the answer is absolutely no. I don't want that man uh, leading us. I don't want him leading our children. And so as you move to your next church, this question is vital. And so there's a lot to think about when it comes to decision making. So I talked about leading, your husband needs to lead. I talked about unity, you must be in agreement. I talked about decision making, how to make a decision. Number three is your children. 
Now, this is going to depend on the ages of your children, but you will want to walk them through this process. It's important that you do this before you make the decision. Now, there's a lot of things involved here. Obviously, one of them is that they understand discretion, that they won't be talking to other people because you don't want this to get out until you're ready to make that decision, until you're ready to pull the plug. We just recently left a local church and uh, to another local church, and we, we had been discussing this for four years and, and really in great detail over the last two years. But our children are, are teenagers, and they do understand discretion, and they had no conversations with anyone uh, outside of our family. And so if your children are discreet and they exercise self-control and they're old enough, you want to begin to walk them through this because your older children are going to have relational connections with the church. And you'll have to remember Let's say that you've been wrestling through this decision for two or three years, and then you spring it on your children, and that's how it will feel because they haven't been part of the process. And you have already worked through things for two or three years, and you can even be nonchalant about how you communicate this to them because you've worked through so much, but they haven't worked through anything because they weren't part of the process. And so you want to make them a part of the process. Now, again, that depends depends on the age of the children, the maturity of the children, the wisdom that they exhibit, and so forth. Now, if your children are younger, uh, if they are younger, well, they will flex with you. They'll go with you, and, and they'll be all right. But remember, children can have relational connections with this church, and so you want to steward this opportunity, this leadership opportunity that's before you. They can also have sentimental reasons for being part of this local body that has nothing to do with theology or, or church governance or, or any other biblical notion. They just have sentimental re- reasons. And then third, a third idea of why children don't want to move is because they just don't like to change. They like familiar environments, and this is the environment that they are familiar with. And many times you'll find that their reasons for staying at a church aren't biblical at all. It's more social and relational, and they're not thinking through either the theology of the church or the long-term consequences of being a part of, like in this case, a legalistic church. And so there's much to think about when it comes to your children, and that's why you want to walk them through this process. (laughs) And then the next point is security. If your children are younger, again, it won't matter as much. The more vital thing for your children, young or old, but especially younger, is parental unity. I talked about unity uh, before. As far as decision-making is concerned, the husband and wife must agree on leaving or staying, but also there must be this greater unity within the marriage, marriage bond your, your children will find their security through familial agreement more than church choices. And so if you are in agreement, you're going to be exporting unity. You're going to be exporting community. You're going to be exporting togetherness. And these ideas are critical for children. What they want 
maybe more than anything else in the world, is for their dad and their mom to love each other, to exhibit that love, to manifest that love. And, and when it comes to big decisions, that they're not bickering and, and biting and devouring one another, as Paul said to the Galatians. And so security of your children is important. And, so, and one of the primary ways that you can manifest that is by being uh, or exhibiting parental unity that is authentic. And I think that goes without saying, but it's authentic, uh, that it is truly genuine, that you truly love each other and you have uh, your best interest in mind and you're really together on this. This is episode 208, How to Leave a Legalistic Church. I talked about the husband leading, the husband and wife being in unity, decision-making, the children, walking them through it. And then uh, fifthly, I talked about the security issue that the children need within the home environment. And then number six, how to leave. Leave well. That's how you leave. Leave well. You want to leave well. Now, I have written a lot of articles on the local church. You can find them on our website, specifically how to exit one. And I'm going to ask you to read several of these articles that are embedded in these show notes because they will help you. In fact, at the top of the show notes, I have six articles for you. One is titled, Three Characteristics of a Wonderful Leader. Another one, Spiritual Abuse, When It Is Time to Leave. Number three, what kind of church do you attend? Here are six models. The fourth is the main thing to look for when looking for a church. The fifth one, how do you leave your church? And then the last one here is why do you attend your church? And so one of them is about leaving and one is about entering. Why do you, leave, why do you attend your church? There's six articles here. In addition to the article that I've already mentioned about biblical decision-making, the big idea is you want to leave well, and I've written a ton on this matter, and so I want you to take advantage of that. The next thing is, is about this idea of gossip. Whenever there is separation, there's going to be talk. Uh, and honestly, I don't fight gossip too much in, in the sense that I know that it will always exist within local communities, whether they're Christian or not. It's just a part of our fallenness, and so you can expect that there will be gossip. And so you want to guard your heart against it. And one of the things that you could remember that will help you is that your friends will always love you. When we left our, our current church, we, we had some wonderful conversations with some friends, and there was no judgment whatsoever. They love us. They loved us before we were there. They loved us while we were there, and they love us now after we have left. Your friends will always love you, and some of the rest will gossip about you, and that happened too. But that's a part of the human experience. You have to expect it, and so you go ahead and guard your heart against it. You can't cave to the fear of others, especially when it comes to making this critical decision. I have an article here about how not to be controlled by the opinions of others, and I would encourage you to read that as well. And so when it comes to this idea of gossip, there will be gossip. 
And so there's no need for you to be critical. There's no need for you to be disappointed. Just kick the bar on the ground because that's where the bar is. It's very low. There will be gossip. You guard your heart against it. And just remember that your friends, the ones who love you, they will always love you. And that's what you want to lean into at this time. And then you want to think about the gospel. And, and what I mean by that, you know, Paul talked about in Philippians 1.15, if the gospel is being preached, you can rejoice in that. And so I'm going to assume for the sake of this podcast that the church that you are attending is preaching the gospel. They're not teaching another gospel that Paul talked about in Galatians 1, 8, and 9. If they are teaching another gospel, well, then we need to interact with that because that, that is heretical, that's damnation, that's an abomination, and you do respond loudly about that. But if this church is preaching the gospel, you can rejoice that they are preaching the gospel, that they got it right. And so it's not a wrong church, per se, and what you're struggling with is preferential matters. You're struggling with preferential matters. And so these are secondary and tertiary issues. And so we want to rejoice that this church is preaching the gospel, but you have preferential matters that you just can't get over, won't get over, don't think you should get over, and you really need to be at another church. That is fantastic. There doesn't have to be anything wrong with you leaving, and there doesn't have to be anything wrong as far as the church is preaching the gospel, even though you don't agree on these matters. Now, as I want to tease this out a little bit, that point was about the gospel, but my next point is about this idea of imperfection. And this is something you're going to have to remember. Your pastor is a fallen individual. That's not the end of the sentence, by the way. Your pastor is a fallen individual like you, and so are the other church members. And if there's more than a singular pastor, and so is the rest of the leadership, if they have a plurality or a leadership team or whatever they call themselves. And and so nobody is perfect. Let me say it this way. I, I used to be a fundamentalist in the harsh legalistic sense of that word. I was a fundamental legalistic Baptist, KJV only, and there are so many other descriptors that are attached to that. That's, that's how I began my Christian journey, right after God regenerated me. I'm not that way any longer, and you need to keep that in mind you see, everybody is on this progression. It's called the progressive, it's called progressive sanctification. And when God first regenerated me, where I stepped on this path of progressive sanctification, I stepped on the path as a, a legalistic Baptist fundamentalist, because basically that's what everybody was in my town. I didn't know any better. And so that is what I became. But as I continue to interact with the Bible, I began to change, and I'm not like that anymore. And, and so there is hope that, you know, maybe this church is legalistic, as you say, but there is hope that the pastor can change, some of the church people can change, uh, the preaching can change. There's, there's things that can change because you have changed too. You can think about it this way. You went to that church. 
uh, for good reasons, and you were part of that body. You participated in the church as the lady who, who sent in this note, as, as she told me that they, they're church leaders in, in the fact that they do a lot of ministry at this church. And so you went in it because it was good for you, it was right for you, but now you have progressed as you have read more about the Bible and learned more about church and so forth, so you have changed. And so it's important to understand that that everybody is imperfect, everybody is growing, transforming, progressively sanctifying, that we're changing, and you just happen to be changing more at this point on those matters. And so let's just say on this path that you're a little farther ahead than they are on the path. That's no need to look back at them with criticism and negativity and and gossip because they aren't where you are. It's very similar to counseling. In fact, it's a lot like counseling. When a counselee comes to a counselor, say me, for example, I don't sit in judgment because perhaps I have worked through some of the things that they struggle with. It would be so it would be so arrogant for me to look down on them as though I have attained, I have arrived, and you have not. As Paul said, what, what have you received that was not given to you? Anything that you have gained in your sanctification is a gift and a mercy from God, and, and maybe this church and this pastor is just not there yet. Maybe they will never be there yet, but then you go back. Is the gospel being preached? Is the gospel truly being preached? And if it is, you can rejoice in that. But the doctrine of progressive sanctification teaches that we all change. And so my hope is that this church will change too. There's no need to go out of the way to criticize them. And here's the big idea. Don't let your hurt or your disappointment rule your heart. Because sometimes you can want something so badly. Or you, you've invested to such a degree that when it doesn't work out, you're hurt. It's kind of like grieving the death of something. You've committed yourself to this local church and became uh, such an integral part of it, and now it's not working out for reasons, and, and your hurt can rule your heart, and disappointment can begin to take over. And if you're not guarding against those things, those temptations, uh, you, you can forget uh, you can't forget that we're all on this progression, and, and they're not there yet. And, and, and the best thing you can do is pray for them and thank God for the time that you had with them. And so you need to keep this idea of imperfection in mind. I talked about the husband leading. I talked about marriage unity. I talked about biblical decision-making. I talked about the children as well as their security. You want to leave well, that was number six. This idea of gossip, number seven, is the gospel being preached, number eight. And my ninth point is about this idea of imperfection. I have a couple of more. Uh, my tenth one here is on the conscience. You need to remember that these people believe that they are correct in how they interpret and apply the Bible. This is a conscience issue. You don't want to come across as the puffed-up person that means arrogant, because you have more light than they do. It's kind of tied into the imperfection thing, but here I want to come at it from the angle of the conscience. People who believe preferential things as a matter of conscience will take great offense in your knowledge. You steward their consciences well. 
the passage of Scripture is 1 Corinthians 8. The entire chapter, all 13 verses, are excellent, but the first three verses, Paul talks about this idea of the Jewish people who were converted to Christianity, but they believed in their conscience that it's wrong to eat meat. People in legalistic cultures truly believe that the way they do church is right. It is a conscience issue. And this is what Paul said about the food offered to idols. He said, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not know yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Then Paul gets into, and you can read the rest of these verses, but Paul gets into how to respond to the person who believes in their conscience that this is the right way to do. And so that's why I say you want to steward their conscience as well because this is a matter of conscience. It's a conscious issue. They believe they are right. And so as you move on, you don't want to move on in arrogance. Let me talk about the idea of sharing with others. If someone asks you why you left, you can tell them. But you can do this with a grateful attitude for your time there and the things that you've learned. And I'm talking about if the pastor is not sinning. Let's say that the pastor is not sinning. There's no use in tearing him or other church members down. Think about it like this. If someone asks you why you like this restaurant over the other restaurant, Tell them why. Just tell them why. If somebody asks you why you uh, are leaving this church and you're going to another church, just tell them why. This is a preference thing. If both restaurants serve edible food and they're doing business legally, it's not a problem to have different ways of doing it. We don't want to be so authoritarian or so paranoid about gossip that we can't talk about our problems. That's one of the biggest problems within Christianity now is that we, don't, we, we will run Joel Osteen, uh, run him down, and other people like him who preach a false gospel because that's easy pickings. That's easy to do. But we won't talk about what's wrong with us. And so if someone asks you, hey, well, I mean, here's the reasons that we're living. You don't have to tear the pastor down. You don't have to tear the church members down. You don't have to be critical. don't have to be angry. Your hurt doesn't have to rule your heart. But you can share your views without frustration, without malice, without deception, or without vengeance. The Lord brought you there for a reason and a season. Now it's time to move on. And if someone wants to know, tell them with discretion and redemptive purposes in view. You don't have to tweet your move. (laughs) You don't have to tweet your church change. You don't have to post anything on Facebook. If nobody asks, move on and praise God that you had the opportunity to be there for that season. And then finally, on retaliation. If they spin your reasons for leaving to suit their agenda, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Some churches do this. Uh, They'll present to their congregation why people leave, but there's always another story, and they don't share it. They spin it. They put a slight spin on it. Again, your friends will always love you. If they talk critically about you, do not respond in return. I'm talking about retaliation. You continue committing yourself to him who judges justly. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 2. For to this you have been called, 
because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his steps. He committed no sin, Jesus. Neither was deceit found in Jesus' mouth. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is episode 208, How to Leave a Legalistic Church. I've given you about 12 points. I also have a call to action here, and I'll run through this, but you can read everything that I've just shared with you about leaving a church. Number one, question number one, if you're married, is your husband leading the family? Number two, are you both in faith? You believe that this is the thing that you're supposed to do. Are you sure you don't want this pastor to be your shepherd or your children's shepherd? You remember the shepherding question? And so you're in faith for this move. You work through biblical decision-making. Number three, what is your game plan to walk your children through this move? How are you planning to communicate as you consider the uniqueness of each child? Number four, are your hearts guarded to the extent that you're not going to gossip about anyone. Number five, what are you going to say to those who ask you why you are leaving? You and your uh, uh, spouse and your children must have this conversation. Number six, what is your response if they gossip to you? Number seven, will you be able to visit this church for weddings or other special events? If you can't return to a church you left, there is something wrong. And when you begin to examine what is wrong, start by looking at yourself before you look at them. If you'd like to talk more about this podcast and these show notes, please jump on our community forums. You get a free username and password, and the forums are free to you. Thank you so much for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.